prepare yourself to be blown away by the seismic sounds and scrutiny of... After Shots Podcast with Chris Aiken and Matt Hartnett. All right, awesome. All right, so Aftershocks number 16, and my very special guest today is the uh, legendary voice in the New York hardcore scene. Uh, his band Leeway were responsible for two of the all-time classics that came out of that scene in its heyday, the classic records Born to Expire and Desperate Measures. And he's also, in my very humble opinion, not to blow smoke up your ass, but you're the best pure singer that came out of that scene, the best voice to do it. Mr. Eddie Sutton's with me here today. Eddie, man, thanks for coming on first thing I want to ask you is, how is it going with this whole pandemic shit? You said you're down in Virginia Beach right now, right? Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me, by the way. Um, I've been down in Virginia Beach now since just after March 10th. Mm-hmm. You know, my partner and fiance lives down here with her two kids and her family. Uh, I'm in a great place. I'm in the middle mm-hmm. of a country, the country. Uh, across the street is a very, very down home church oh cool you know oh yeah nice <laughs> you know so I'm, sure. I'm literally three minutes from the north carolina border oh wow okay see so the southern so virginia part there yeah it's nice and quiet uh as challenging as these times have been for a lot of people in the club and or music business you know, it's been pretty easy down here. You know, mm. a lot of people don't even take the pandemic serious because Virginia was not one of the, uh, I guess, top 10 devastated states. Mm. So, you know, half the people are walking around without masks mm. and, uh, you know, just carrying on like nothing's going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. But, uh, I'm not playing that game. I'm too afraid of catching this shit. Sure. In fact, January, I caught such a bad chest infection, it scared the living shit out of me. Uh-huh. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it. I'm 55 now. I've been smoking well over 40 years in my life, mm-hmm. you know? And, it, you know, I at the time when this happened, I wanted to quit. Mm-hmm. But with the stress and everything else going on, I, you it's know, tough, yeah. I'm still smoking, mm. you know, not smoking as much, but still smoking. Gotcha. And, you know, I'm at that age criteria, if yeah. you're right, that mm-hmm. can succumb to this virus. Totally. And, you know, as yeah. much as I have a great immune system, despite how much I've tested it in my life, you know, I'm afraid of this shit. And it's real. Sure. It's real. It's real. Yeah, no, it really you know, is. So many people are trying to hoax this out. I know it's hard to feed your families. You know, hell, I'm stressing over one bill right now. But, you know, this is life, mm-hmm. you know. And, yeah. you know, this is a very challenging and new time. You know, my mom's mom was born the same year as uh, the influenza pandemic in 1918. 18, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, you know, it's all a trip. You know, it, sure. it really is. It's it's a God's honest trip. I don't know too many people personally that have gotten sick, but there's a lot of friends that have a family member or or, or a loved one or someone close to them mm-hmm. that has gotten sick. And, uh, you know, it is it is very, very trippy. Sure. It's, it's the only way I could kind of explain it is is it's very trippy. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And like you said, and, and like you said, being fifty five, and they usually say if you're fifty five and above, and if you have had any sort of health issues before, yeah, it's better to play it safe than sorry. Stay home and and just take it seriously. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you yeah. know, my partner's scared. She's got a seven year old boy, a three year old girl. Mm-hmm. She's asthmatic. You know, and yeah. she's afraid. As well as the parents that like, you know, if this virus crept into the house, you know, it's it's going to be devastating. Sure. Mm. And, uh, you know, yeah. so you, you just got to be smart. I yeah. think that's a lot of it. Uh, thankfully, where I am out here, uh, we're very isolated. Mm-hmm. We minimize going out to the store and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like the road that we're on and stuff, it's, it's very country- quiet mm-hmm. town type of thing 
so you know, I, I feel I feel like I've been kind of uh, cushioned gotcha. compared to most people. Like if mm-hmm. I was up north, if I didn't get down here in time, mm-hmm. you know, it would only have been a matter of time, I think, before I got infected, just because I would have to, you know, sure. do traveling, get around, just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with all the density too, uh, you know, with New York and New Jersey area. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, now, where are you in Cali? I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm up in, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm originally from New York. I grew up, you know, Queens, but uh, I live up in the Bay Area, right outside of San Francisco, you know, right, basically in San Francisco, right outside of Oakland. All right, yeah. so you're like in the burbs of, of the Bay Area. Kind of, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, it reminds me a lot of like Queens and Brooklyn right here, you know what I mean? It's because, um, it, you know, the Bay Area is laid out the same sort of way as New York City is. You, know, you got San Francisco, that's like Manhattan. You got the bridges going over to Oakland and stuff, and that's sort of like Queens and Brooklyn. And that's kind of where I am. I'm just right over the water on the other side of, uh, you know, the city part, you know, San yeah. Francisco itself. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, cool. But yeah, so let's go. Let's talk about uh, Leeway, man. You know, before this pandemic happened, obviously, um, you know, it looked like things were really kind of going good for the band. I know you put out two tracks about a year or so ago. Uh, yes. You got a couple of videos for those on Upstate Records. Uh, you had Dan Nastasi and Booge from. Mucky Pup and Doggy Dog played on those tracks. Great tracks, man. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, you've and like I said, you've also toured pretty extensively. I uh, I was able to see you guys out here about two years ago in Oakland. I know you guys were out here. I think last year as well. So you've been come. You've definitely been touring a lot. You know, since you put the band back together. So before this pandemic happened, I mean, where was the band at, or where are you guys at now in terms of is there new music coming out? Uh, you know, once things kind of go back to you know semi you know normalcy or whatever you want to call it i mean you guys still looking to tour and what's going on i you know that has been a toss-up i think uh since you have seen me out there and i've been out west twice in say the last three years Mm -hmm. um i have had numerous musicians behind me Mm -hmm. and uh you know this is why i'm very honest that you know it's not leeway you know what I mean? Mm. It's it's very much a tribute. Uh, I'm the only guy left. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I play with a lot of friends that, you know, I've been close to for more than 30 years, some mm. newer, you know, and it's been a bit of a challenge to mm. regroup recently with a steady lineup. Sure. But we did get close to putting that in order right before the pandemic. Mm, okay. Uh, you know, ironically, I played a headlining show in New Jersey on the 6th. Mm. Then I opened up Murphy's Law on the 7th on Long Island mm. and left town that Tuesday. Okay. Uh, you know, so I pretty much had Dan uh, as well as uh, Kevin Powers, who... Sure. was also a drummer for Mucky Pup. Mm-hmm. And my buddy Artie, who is in a band called Damn Your Eyes, okay. he was playing bass, nice. even though he's really a guitarist. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my other close friends that was playing with me for a while is the big guy in the video, Dank, on bass. He plays for Whiplash okay. as well. But uh, I'm looking to move forward with a live album or at least a studio live album because AJ without my input or, or, you know, asking me what I thought he went to work with a bootlegger in Belgium and put the first two albums up on Spotify and iTunes without consent Mm -hmm. or the proper legal procedures. So the people that, own the rights to those recordings as well as half the publishing uh which is sony Mm -hmm. um you know they're basically put us you know sent us to our proverbial room i guess because they not only pulled the albums off of spotify and itunes Mm -hmm. but they don't even seem to be interested in it in any monetary way right now so now those albums are gone in virtual limbo yeah you could youtube and listen to them yeah you know nobody can really uh get their hands on the music through any stream platforms mm. by you know the reissues from belgium sure yeah yeah i was going to ask you about that because yeah i did notice that about five or six months ago 
you know, just, I mean, I, you know, I still listen to those records all the time. And obviously I don't have a CD player in my car anymore. Everything is streaming. So it's like, I got a stream to hear the songs. And when I was going to work one day, I'm like, what the fuck happened to those albums? They're off. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's and not, one that has to answer that question. Exactly. It's not online. Sure. You know, it, it's mm. nothing I did, you know? Um, so I try not to really dwell on that business. Mm. And I just try to focus on, what I can do now and move forward sure. and what I can do within the proper legal channels mm-hmm. with the music. So the goal is to do like a, you know, greatest hits okay. in, in studio pseudo mm-hmm. live album, you yeah. know, okay. kind of like the way bands did it in the seventies. They'd sure. record live in a studio Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe even add audience sounds to yeah. make it sound yeah. like you know, let's kiss a live album. Oh, yes, yeah, sure, of course not. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, yeah. I thought that would be a great idea, you know, to hear those songs. You know, even uh, Suicidal Tendencies re recorded their biggest That's album, right, yeah, mm-hmm. Frontier, you know, the, mm-hmm. the album that made them. So, you know, I figured. You know, that's something I can do. It'll bring relevancy to 35-year-old songs. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. 30, 35-year-old songs. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy because, you know, I always thought this independent music that we were in was a, you know, modern-day phenomena. I don't ever had any belief that i would be here 35 years later mm-hmm. you know talking about this music mm-hmm. and even having say the opportunity to go out there and play to a fan base that's younger than the songs sure mm-hmm. you know what i mean so yeah yeah no definitely all of that is is a total trip to me mm-hmm. and uh you know i feel like this is one of the only things i pretty much got right in my life despite the bad luck that the bands had endlessly mm-hmm. you know it's still something very special to me so mm-hmm. you know i like going out there and doing this mm-hmm. you know sure i think the singing performance is like a blues type thing for me so to go out there and sing and tell my stories and emote it and mm-hmm. you know try to connect with people is is uh you know a special thing sure and, you know yeah. I'm trying to make the best of that for as long as I can, mm-hmm. you know. Totally, yeah. Well, going back to the name. So, I mean, I know you were saying you, you, you put the NYC on there just because you're the only original band member. Um, and I know it's, like you said, it's, it's sort of respect to the legacy of the band. But, it's I mean, it is very common for bands to have, especially if it's the singer, to have the one band member these days, you know, especially if none of the band members are really interested in getting back with the group or, or continuing it's pretty, it's pretty, I think, common for, you know, for bands to still use the name. So, I mean, and I was going to ask you about that. You kind of alluded to that before. So do you think you're going to stick with that NYC, you know, um, moniker? Or, I mean, or do you think it's really, it's just something that you just don't want to mess with and you want to just keep it it's, in order to... I don't think there's yeah. much of a difference to it, Matt. True, you you're know, right, yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, there have been other bands with this name, mm-hmm. you know, uh and in 2006, there was a band from France called Leeway. Mm. Uh, I saw some artists, just like rap artists and stuff, too. That have there's Leeway, right? DJ yeah. Leeway, some mm. guy from Poland. You don't see his face. You just see the top of his baseball hat. Uh-huh. You know, and, and I think there was another band out there. I, I, I don't know if it was The Leeway or there was another word to it. And I think they were more like a softer approach band, like, you know, like a your girlfriend's version of Wilco or something, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just easy <laughs> listening type of band. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, so anybody that follows or, or grew up knowing Leeway, if the NYC is tagged to it, you know it's that band. True. Yeah. You know, it's you know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. So I, I, I really don't feel like it really is a hindrance, you know. In okay. the early 80s when I was going to shows – when bands broke up, you know, different factions would go and do shows as ex-false prophets or something mm. like that, you know, mm. ex-bad posture, mm. you know, and, you know, they would go do that. You knew it was the members of this band, mm. you know, doing that show. Sure. So, you, you know, 
it's important for me for people to understand like it's not being done for some like 20 year you know reunion A monetary or, reason or something yeah well right. you know i i you know i try to work the band in order to you know earn income to help take care of things and to keep the band financially afloat to be able to do all these things but in the end, I don't think people realize how hard it is to do all this stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And despite having, you know, two friends working with me as management, you know, they help on the production end immensely with the recordings and the video work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wouldn't have had those luxuries for this single without them, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, all of it is is, you know basically you know something i do because i love it Mm -hmm. and you know the connection and and the whole thing that comes from that is really what it is for me you know Mm -hmm. uh being a recovering addict i guess surviving a lot of crazy shit you know i have a lot of people reach out to me for advice and help Mm -hmm. and uh it's a lot of the reason why I used human subjects for my podcast mm-hmm. because, you know, I always thought more about community than the proverbial uh, slogan of unity, sure. you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, like I said, this is this was such a big part of my young adulthood and my youth mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I still want to be connected to that sure. you know what I mean? no, understandably man i mean yeah and talking just just to go back a little you know in the 80s and the new york hardcore scene when you guys were coming up i mean you guys really always had a very unique you know sound and just just in general the band was unique compared to the rest of the bands i mean there's a there's a variety of reasons i mean one of course is you guys really brought the metallic sound into hardcore i mean in fact you kind of you could even say it sort of killed off that traditional new york hardcore sound because you guys really set to, you know the trajectory for the 90s hardcore bands, which are pretty much more metal-based than it was in the 80s. I mean, yeah, sure, bands like Crow Mags, they had, you know, they had metal tinges to them, but it was more like Motorhead type of, you know, metal. So it had more of a punk edge still to it. Uh, same with, with Agnostic Front. But you guys really had that thrashiness, you know, that was Metallica sort of riffs, you know, um, those real thrashy riffs. And, you know, there's, a, there's a other reasons, too, you guys were different. I mean, for one... Uh, singing-wise, I mean, your style stood out to me compared to all the other bands because you can actually sing. You know, and I'm not, and this isn't disrespectful to any of the singers there in the New York hardcore scene there, but it was mostly, you know, your typical punk rock sort of singing, more screaming and grunting, yelling, that stuff. But you really could actually sing, hit hit notes, uh, do harmonies. Uh, and like I said, a lot of other bands didn't really have that um, edge that you have with them. And also, you guys weren't really like the tough guy persona guys. You guys weren't covered in tattoos with white beaters and shaved heads. You know, three of the band members had long hair. You know what I mean? So, um, so I mean, I guess the argument could be that you guys really were sort of the first true, if you want to call a crossover band that came out of that area. Um, mm-hmm. And I think also, you know, um, you know, obviously one of the reasons you guys never really did get that you know notoriety and respect that a lot of the you know the other bands i mentioned did was because of the long delay in the release of born to expire as well as desperate measures just you know yeah just just ridiculous obviously i know you know that's been documented very well but uh so i mean do you agree that you guys were really the first ones though that really that brought that metal into the scene and kind of you know changed sort of the trajectory of that scene over to more of a heavier style Well, I feel I feel blessed to have been a part of that. Let's look at the timeline when the band started. Yeah, eighty four, right? Well, you guys just not to cut you off real quick, but you guys recorded that demo with Don Fury in eighty four. Yeah, and so yeah, so I mean, right there, there was really no one else at that time, I think, doing that. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Sod. You know, uh, the same sure. time we started doing our first shows, like into '85. You know, Billy Milano already mm-hmm. recorded the SOD album, mm-hmm. and they were starting to build up. Uh, Anthrax started going to shows around that time and checking our bands out. And you know, if you listen to early AF and what the style was in New York up until '84, mm-hmm. it was more of that, you know, thrash anger energy just like dc and boston Mm. but not necessarily straight edge like those cities were at the time as people 
became better musicians and that just evolves over playing an instrument for three, four, five, six years, you know, mm. they related to the power energy that metal offered okay. because obviously, you know, there was talented musicianship that went with that. Mm. And, you know, we were in the right place at the right time. And that's, that's, you know, just being there and being lucky to be a part of that. Mm. Uh, I love the fact that I was blessed to have great musicians working with me mm. as I established my own experience and tried to push the envelope to try to sing, carry a tune and generate hooks, all that shit. Mm. Um, you know, that's what I thought this was all about. This was supposed to be about individuality mm -hmm. and finding your own style. And hardcore is more about a passion and lifestyle than it is about a particular sound that your band should sound to fit in that category. Mm -hmm. So, you know, by the time I got to do my third album and then, you know, which was that old crash into open mouth kiss mm -hmm. i was able to go further with my songwriting and i'm a kid who's been partially deaf since his infancy oh, okay. you know Didn't never know had one of my ears uh you know it, it's about 65 percent you know partial okay. deafness mm. and you know i was able to lay tracks and and harmonize and do all these other things that nobody else does in this genre mm -hmm. so i was lucky to have my own individuality and to be able to stand out for what i did but mm -hmm. i guess i would not have been inspired to do those things if i didn't have such solid musicians to 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 collaborate with mm -hmm. you know i don't know what i would have sounded or done if i had different people around me you mm -hmm. know what i mean but, you know, now I know what I'm doing. And even after breaking my neck in 2006, I had to relearn to vocalize and everything. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, I think being able to emote in a song and to bring the drama and the energy to it, uh, you know, it's kind of like I live the blues per se. Mm -hmm. Not to sound cliched, but, sure. you, know, uh, you know, those are all the things that melded me into being an individual and vocalist. Mm -hmm. And yes, you know, I'm not a platinum selling artist or, or singer like that, but at least, you know, what I did has been recognized and appreciated. And, mm -hmm. and you know, that's, that's you know, that accolade is more important than, you know, my bank account. Sure. That's you know? Yeah, no, totally. And I know, you know, you've mentioned uh, previously that, you know, uh, that you feel that you really New York hardcore could have been really big in a similar way as say like the seattle grunge movement i mean because you did have leeway you had the Cro-Mags, murphy's law you guys were all on profile on rock hotel so the talent was obviously there and the buzz was during that time and i think i think you mentioned something about you you, you were saying that the, one of the reasons you think the reason why it didn't get as big was because a lot of the artists in the scene were kind of very street oriented you know they grew up impoverished they came from broken homes and so it was, it was kind of hard for them to deal with you know that newfound sort of notoriety um, at the time. About, back in December, I did a, another podcast I did with uh, your, your ex-bandmate there, Mike Gibbons, as well as, um, you know, uh, Howie Abrams, you know, in effect records, uh, in our okay. Howie Abrams. And we talked about this topic a little bit. You know, Howie brought up a good point, uh, I thought. And he said also that he thought the, another reason why the, the, the basically the, you know, New York hardcore scene didn't get as big as it should have was because it was also very disorganized behind the scenes compared to, other rock and metal arenas. You say, you know, the, the scene never really had like the, the ducks all lined up in a row and it was just kind of sloppy. It was just that a lot of the bands also weren't interested in taking their music outside of New York. To them, it was like, okay, I get to play CBGBs a couple of times a year. I've hit a big time. It's sort of like, you know, it was like sort of playing in the Madison Square Garden for hardcore musicians. So you didn't really mm -hmm. have a lot of bands that were really looking to spread out and to go out there and to spread the music as much as maybe some other genres did in, in other uh, geographical locations. Um, so, I mean, do you agree that, that the scene was pretty, 
you know, behind the scenes, was it was it disorganized? Was there you know, was that you think one of the reasons also that contributed for a lot of the bands? It? Yes. Okay. But you know, you also have to understand, like when it comes to rock and roll, mm. uh, the industry's been robbing New York since what nineteen seventy three. You know, mm -hmm. uh, with the New York Dolls, mm -hmm. you know, by the time uh, Malcolm McLaren was managing that band in the later part of the 70s, uh, the, the early part of the 70s before they broke up, mm -hmm. um, you know, he took everything he learned managing the New York Dolls and that last album with the whole band mm -hmm. and created this phenomena which is punk rock and it sure. was really done as a fashion thing mm -hmm. because if you listen to the sex pistols the clash and all those other bands you know a lot of the songs were like you know two and a half three minute straight up rock songs mm -hmm. you know uh that's the same thing the dolls are doing in their way but in a more trashy street vibe mm -hmm. so that said when McLaren created this punk rock and America created hardcore into 1980, mm -hmm. it was a lot of angry young kids who mm -hmm. were coming from dysfunctional backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have people in their corner who were business savvy, like Anthrax, mm -hmm. you know? Sure. And nobody... There was no Slash whose parents were industry bigwigs, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So mm -hmm. the the record labels that came towards this music to try to monopolize or, or you know, do something with it. Mm -hmm. At the time, you had, what, Combat Core, mm -hmm. Combat Records, and you had Profile. Profile was, you know, the house that Run DMC built. Mm hmm you know yeah. they were kind of like just the rap label pretty much yeah putting a few bucks into this to see how far it could go mm -hmm. you know but uh you know by the time we were off and running with them uh chris williamson chris williamson's deal with profile died so we all became profile artists even though they used the rock hotel band mm-hmm uh, and really, it was just to take a chance. Oh, let's let's see what we could do with this. But, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. You know, mm -hmm. that's why a lot of the combat bands probably had more longevity mm -hmm. and consistency because they may not have been giving the bands the budgets that Profile was giving us and the other bands, mm -hmm. you know, um, you could see the comparison how a lot of the profile bands were just much more dysfunctional. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And when you're a street kid, you know, you smell bullshit easier. Mm -hmm. You're impulsive. You react mm -hmm. without, you know, taking a breath and thinking before you make your move type of thing. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and, you know, I think that's a lot of the reason why labels stop, stopped going towards me not just because of uh, I guess my drug issue but because I knew they were full of shit mm -hmm. and, and nobody was going to give me I guess a real commitment and they just you know it, it just did not feel genuine mm -hmm. you know and uh, it, it's a lot of the reason why I try to do things more DIY today I'd rather keep it more closer to me yeah. than to expand out you know, I, mm -hmm. I don't know how much time I have left to do all this shit, but, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happier making my own choices and making my own mistakes mm -hmm. than having someone make, you know, someone make them on my behalf. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, yeah, totally understand. Yeah. Um, speaking of, you know, Born to Expire, I mean, obviously that, you know, that record, man, it's not only known for its great songs, but it was also the blueprint, you know, production wise for what those New York, you know, hardcore bands want on their records. I mean, to have a sound like that at that time was pretty special. And I know that everybody wanted that, you know, which I think led to that mass pilgrimage of those New York hardcore bands. Up to Normandy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. With Tom Sorsen, okay. you know, I mean, you think of all the records that were up, I mean, 
Prongs beg to differ. You got the Sick of It All's three full lengths. You got uh, AF's One Voice, Cro-Mag's Best Wishes. I mean, these things go on. Those all came out after Born to Expire. I mean, so it's pretty obvious, I think, a lot of those bands were sort of trying to emulate that sound and production because it was so good. And not to, once again, not to respect those bands or those albums because I love pretty much every one of those albums I just mentioned, but um, no one really was able, I think, to ever match the sound of Born to Expire. What was, I mean, what was so magical about that place? And why do you think... You know, so many, even though they tried to, you know, match that sound, why do you think that they weren't able to really match the production of Born to Expire? I mean, even though they were great records, I, I still don't think any sound was the same as that one was. Yeah, well, hats off to Chris Williamson finding that. Chris Williamson gets a bad name, mm-hmm. but, you know, he did a lot to build New York to become what it was with his Rock Hotel shows, mm-hmm. as well as getting that deal on Profile for all these bands to get their platform and and get out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Suarez was simply a phenomenal engineer, mm-hmm. well-educated. Um, not that I had that many vocal skills at that time when we recorded Born to Expire, mm-hmm. but I had a semblance of it. And, you know, despite what I did, the musicianship and the overall production and sound mm-hmm. is what it's all about. You know sure. what I mean? And, and these are analog days. You know what I mean? When mm-hmm. you go, when you're recording on real, nowadays it's all digital. Mm-hmm. You know, and just done from a laptop yeah. and a smaller board. Mm-hmm. You know, the board in that place was a half a million dollars. Okay, you know, wow. those huge SSL type boards. And I'm not that technically proficient when it comes to recording you know i'm more like a fan on listening things they just got it right and you know being that it was in a small town in rhode island i think it left the bands to do nothing but literally focus on doing the music and getting the tracks down Mm -hmm. so the talent in that house could do their part and you know it's not like they really covered many metal bands. I mean, this is this is a studio that uh, that cat that did a uh, new edition and new kids on the block. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he did all his records there. Uh, a lot of uh, high schools and universities would do their recordings for their you know band stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you had the older classic rock types like Jay Giles going in there to do their thing Mm -hmm. you know uh i don't think you could have did this in a manhattan studio would have been much more expensive Mm -hmm. and you know uh if you listen to at least the profile recordings that were done up there there was enough of a budget to really do something with these songs and make them with last a test of time because Mm -hmm. you know what is a good you know, record, despite, you know, what it is, hard, soft, mushy, or pussy, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's capturing a moment in time and making it timeless, sure. you know? Yeah. And, and you know, they were able to do that. And it was crazy to, to be the first to go up there and then so many other bands wanting to replicate AJ's sound or... Tony or Pokey sound on the drums and and everything else. Mm-hmm. I won't I won't mention the bands, but you know Tom Suarez, the engineer, could be a prick at times, mm-hmm. especially with the vocalists and the other bands that went up there because you know they weren't melodic and you know they didn't have that much uh, musical craftsmanship mm-hmm. in in his eyes. So he would always. Tell the bands, you know, like, you need to get rid of this guy and find somebody that could do this or that, you know. Mm. But they still did their work. They still got it done. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, sure. And then, of course, you know, one of the albums I just want to mention real quick is Open Mouth Kiss. You know, I, I love that record. Um, it was obviously a lot <clears throat> a lot different from the, the previous, you know, the two ones we've been talking about, you know, Desperate Measures and Born to Expire. But... Uh, you know, I, that was just such a another. I, I think your voice on that album really was really shined. I mean, immensely. Uh, I really think the band hit their peak right there. Um, and obviously, you know, that's the last uh, you know record you guys released. Bef- you know, before obviously you put out these songs, 
you know, the last couple of years. But um, was was the uh, what was the the process of like that? Because you guys recorded that in Normandy as well, right? I believe all your records you recorded up there, correct? Uh, Adult Crash mm-hmm. was recorded in Manhattan. Okay, and I don't, you know, that's kind of like the weakest album out of all four in mm-hmm. a lot of uh, people's opinions. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's because we didn't go up to Normandy that transition from Adult Crash to Open Mouth Kiss is obvious in the recordings mm-hmm. and in the songs. In 93, we weren't really that much together when we did the, that album. Okay. So that's why it sounds like it almost reached the level of Open Mouth Kiss, but was short. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back up there, I, I felt like I, you know, really understood what I was doing as a songwriter and composing my parts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really got to shine, like I was discussing before, the harmonizing that I would do on songs. You know, uh, the object for this band was to try to bring something new. I mean, evolution should be, you know, the key to, I think, any band. You know, and understand the industry's uh, MO where a band creates a sound and they want them to kind of just replicate that style of sound, song after song after song. I don't feel there's evolution there. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Again, this is hardcore. Aren't we supposed to be pushing the envelope? Mm -hmm. Aren't we supposed to be trying to bring more? from the previous release, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I love that we had that diversity album to album, Yes, you know, you can see a progressive transition for each one. Absolutely. The first two albums are done with two guitars. The last two albums were done with one guitar. Mm -hmm. I mean, no matter how many layers, you know, to get the guitar sounds, the album, you know, tracks and layers and all that shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it was it was just different song structure and everything else. In some ways, we went back to our punk roots mm-hmm. with the melodies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then I was trying to, you know, show strength and show how this band is just as hard as this band or that band. But, you know, you can do it in a talented, you know, way. Yeah. Well, there, was know, that, there was that whole streaming for me. It's, you know, that's mm. just it just doesn't do it for me. No, nah, I agree. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, in that time too, in the mid nineties, there there was that there was a, you know the whole post hardcore thing going on. You had bands like Quicksand. You had a lot of you. So you guys were unique because you still kept the leeway moniker, even though you had the different sound. A lot of yeah. bands would change band names, or they would just take you know a couple of guys from different bands would get together. I think it was that band Handsome. It was a bunch of those kind of bands that were playing, like I said, that post-hardcore stuff that was becoming pretty big that would get signed by majors. But you guys kept still the leeway moniker where, like I said, a lot of other bands didn't. They would switch the name or just create a different project, which is what I thought was unique. I mean, you guys get a lot of fl- – you get a lot of like, ah, oh, this isn't the same shit you guys have, you know. You guys have, you know, you sound weaker now. You sound less heavy. You know, that well, whole thing, compared to, of course, those two classic records, you know? A lot of people yeah. said that about Open Mouth Kiss. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? mm-hmm. And yeah. But 10 years later, those same people were at least honest enough to, you know, say, I can't deny it. This is a bad record. This mm-hmm. is a badass record. And, you know, they really did get it at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're going to gravitate towards the talented quicksand, and I love that early quicksand stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it really spoke to yeah, me, you know, it was, that was one of the few bands. And then after them, the only other band that spoke to me up to the present day out of New York really was Agents of Man, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. I got to do that project with them. But mm-hmm. not to get too lost, you know, I think uh, it was ahead of itself in some ways and and people were still, you know, in the mindset of something else mm-hmm. or the same old, same old before they could really, uh, you know, get it. Sure. You know? mm. Because I think a lot of uh, the straight edge and youth movement uh, definitely got quicksand mm-hmm. versus some of the others. 
But, you know, uh, at that time, labels didn't want to fuck with me. By then, mm-hmm. you know, it was obviously that I had a problem. Mm-hmm. Andrew Wood of Mother Love Bone, when he overdosed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, record labels said that's it. You know what I mean? You know, mm-hmm. drug, drug abuse isn't marketable. Mm-hmm. Because you know, uh, Epic Records gave them a million dollars and such an incredibly talented band that was supposed to blow up mm-hmm. doesn't even get to debut because sadly the singer ODs in a hotel room mm-hmm. before yeah. they get to get them out there. True. You know, mm-hmm. And you could see how profound he was to Seattle because that Temple of the Dog album was written in tribute to him mm-hmm. from all the... Yeah you know, big artists artists. from from Seattle, you know what I mean? Mm, Sure. And, uh, you know, again, here's the street kid, you know, who has a band that can really go places, but the singer is frustrated and quite literally strung out, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Sure. And, and, you know, he's, he's on the ball you know, he he really doesn't want to play ball with with the the way, you know, the experiences that I had with Profile at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best thing that happened to us was getting off the label. Mm-hmm. But by then, we couldn't find another label to really take us on that would have did us justice. Got it, okay. You know, yeah, it, no, no. It, the bands always had bad luck with business and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And it was just, uh, you know, it's just something that, you know, none of us really were too drawn or focused to. You know, we hardly had merch back then. Mm -hmm. Uh, AJ, when he started making the main decisions for the band in the 90s, he couldn't really make a uh, decision in fair enough time. He would be stuck on the fence trying to decide what's best for us and a lot of opportunities that were coming our way blew past us you know mm-hmm. what i mean sure. and uh you know i i figured the only way i was going to get to go out and do these songs again was to do it with friends of mine who really enjoy working together and if we don't then we move on it's as simple as that instead mm-hmm. of trying to be a band where you know the the ins and outs and the personal issues destroy the fun out of it mm-hmm you know, sure. and you know, despite all that, we were able to keep it together up till Open Mouth Kiss, mm-hmm. and I feel make our best record. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand how iconic B- BTE and Desperate Measures are to a lot of people, but as far as talent and everything else, you know, uh, Open Mouth Kiss is my favorite record. Yeah, yeah it's a great record, man. Um, you know, and and you know, you just touched upon a little bit of of your past. You know, I mean, not only have you made a a musical comeback, but you've also made a personal one. And, you know, you've been very open about that. Obviously, your your, your past struggles with, you know, opiate addiction. And, you know, when I saw you play out here a few years ago, you know, I thought it was great. You talked to the crowd about it. And, you know, so like I said, you're, you obviously, you know, even though it took you longer probably that you wanted to, to put put that lifestyle behind you, the fact is, you know, you've, you've taken steps to highlight, you know, and, and also to help others with their own comebacks as well. And like we were just mentioning before, you have your own uh, Eddie Leeway podcast, which – focuses you know on people whose hardships were a lot of it was you know the ones i listened to was really interesting episodes it was about you know hardships they had that were no fault of their own yet they were able to overcome those obstacles that they weren't even really responsible for which i thought is a very unique um a unique podcast you don't really see any i don't know of any of the podcasts that really talks about stuff like that and uh so tell you yeah, tell the the uh, listeners about your podcast and what you really want to uh, what do you have planned for, for the future because i know you really want to keep that thing going yeah, all of a sudden, I'm the Dr. Phil in New York. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. there are so many industry podcasts out there. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm blessed that people still are interested in what I have to say. Mm-hmm. And so I get time and energy with, with Aftershock here and, and other podcasts. Mm-hmm. I tried doing this a few years ago with my guys, but... It wound up being overproduced and so much energy was putting into it that we couldn't stay consistent. So mm-hmm. I found a partner and a photographer from New York. Her name's Christine Samaru. 
and we broke it down to just a microphone and you know renting out the space to to do it and uh just get it on sadly the podcast stopped march 10th after i left new york and i'm trying to get back on the ground within the next 10 days uh because i'm not computer savvy i've wanted to use skype mm-hmm. or or a medium like this in order to do my interviews so i can keep going mm-hmm. that said uh the eddie leeway podcast is it's bringing community to the table mm-hmm. instead of like you know the hypocritical unity thing that sure. people talk about mm-hmm. in hardcore but don't really own up to it mm-hmm. you know whatever yeah. it's important to tell these stories, but it's not supposed to be a pity party. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's more celebratory, like, like overcoming this shit, right? I mean, survival's yeah. the shit. I mean, you yeah. know, I, mm-hmm. I've survived hepatitis C. I've survived minimum incarceration. Uh, I have two cadaver vertebrae and a piece of metal in my throat, you know, mm-hmm. from breaking my neck. Uh, having an epi- a psychotic episode mm. while locked up. And, mm. you know, these are stories that tend to be a person's downfall. Mm-hmm. You know, so-and-so got hep C, never got it treated. You know, now he's waiting for a liver and dying or die. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Another guy went to jail, came out in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. You know, another guy became a drug addict and he never got his life right or he dies young, Mm -hmm. you know, um, to be able to take those challenges and find some way through it Mm -hmm. is inspiring to the others that are looking for that spark to help them push forward and get past their challenges. Mm -hmm. That is probably the most important thing I can do for the community of people that gave me the opportunity to do music and to still be relevant. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I wanted to be a counselor, but Mm -hmm. while spending time and working a group and doing orientation for a clinic in Long Island, Mm -hmm. as well as my time in programs and stuff, it's too jaded of a system. It just becomes paper pushing and urine tests. Mm -hmm. There's no energy. There's not enough energy and effort into the discussion, the dialogue. And it's more of a business, unfortunately, right? It is. It is. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, not just methadone or suboxone, or whatever maintenance a person uses today most people aren't just aren't really just buying heroin hell mm-hmm. there's not really even heroin on the streets anymore it's pretty much just fentanyl mm-hmm. and that's shit that scares me from relapsing because you know uh that's such a crapshoot mm-hmm. it, it is such a crapshoot i'm not a sober man you know, I, mm-hmm. I smoke weed medicinally. Mm-hmm. I get a drink when I'm into it once in a while. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, yeah, I'm an addict. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'll always be that. But I have control of myself and I'm not abusing what I once abused. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think it's important to be open and own up to it. You know, haters want to throw that at me a lot. I laugh, though, because most people can't even get my drug of choice right. You know, <laughs> till I got better dental work, everybody assumed I was a crackhead because I'm so skinny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, they don't realize. But you've always been skinny, right? I mean, right? I mean, you always. That's that. Yeah. That's that. But I've got a natural, natural six-pack of abs and, mm-hmm. you know. I feel sure. being the weight that I am is going to help me, you know, because I'm not spring chicken. I'm 55 sure. now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. You can see all the gray in my hair. This is the third beard I grew out since I've been in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's in, 
it really helps me to keep going. The fact that I haven't been able to do the podcast for the last uh, 10 weeks has been mm. kind of depressing because I haven't felt productive at all. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So. Yeah. But we're definitely going to see more of that, obviously, in the future, correct? You, you, you're definitely yeah. going to keep that going. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, like, awesome. you know, we're going to be switching the website over. But, uh, you know, when I was making my way south, we were p putting the podcast on iTunes and Spotify so people can uh, find it a lot easier than just going to the Weebly webpage that I, we built up. And, um, yeah. You know, uh, I don't want this, like I said, to be some pity party about me. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to have these things brought to the table because really it's it, it's not just like the Eddie Leeway, you know, uh, N.A. meeting hour. You sure, know, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. About incarceration, mm -hmm. mental health. You know, there's there's a lot of things that are holding people down. It's not just, you know, addiction. Sure. So, you know, I want to try to get to all of those things bit by bit because I did have somebody on and we talked about gambling as an addiction mm -hmm. and, you know, eventually sex addiction, mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's, there's all so types many addictions. I know. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. And, you know, it, it's something that now that I had the chance to relaunch and then here we are again getting shut down because of the pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I'm missing it. I'm really missing sure. it because, you know, it, it's good to be able to be here and uh, to have been a part of this thing now almost 40 years since my first show. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have a wealth of knowledge and, you know. I've got the gift of gab. It's mm -hmm. something I enjoy doing. Yeah. No. No. Awesome. Yeah. And one last, just one last question. <laughs> you've got a pro You've got to be like the last guy that I see, because I see it all over your uh, your social media that still collects baseball cards. Mm. Um, I mean, that used to be obviously in the eighties. I was huge into that, so it's it's just funny seeing you know, when you're posting those some of those cards up and being like, you know, I had that I had that card, man, or you know, all this still all that we were talking about recently, cut me and a couple of my friends of all the different types of cards, you know, Fleer, Don Russ, all that stuff. So it's like, I mean, I just, I'm just interested, like, how, how is it so different now, obviously, than compared when it's hated? Because I used to go to card shows, all that shit back in the day in New York, you know. Um, but I see you still doing it. Is it still somewhat, I mean, do you still sell some of those cards or people still buy this stuff? I go in and out of the hobby. I came okay. out of the closet and started a social media page on Instagram just for card collecting mm. not too long ago. And I got back into it a year ago. Um, when I started collecting as a kid in, in the early 70s, I learned before that decade was over that they were worth money. Mm. So probably being a poor kid, you know, and seeing the monetary value of some of them and, uh, you know, it's it's not just the love of collecting. Uh, greed cultivates that mm -hmm. industry in a lot of ways, sure. too. And, uh, you know, so I look at it kind of like as, as penny stocks. There's something fun about collecting some of the more hard-to-get cards, the short prints or the serial-numbered cards or the autograph rookies, there's that, mm -hmm. relic cards. Um, you know, I like to get my hands on collected things that I enjoy, but mm -hmm. I'm curious to see, you know, how much they accrue in value over time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'll get rid of them once in a while, you know, so I can buy more cards. Sure, yeah. You know I mean? reinvest, and yeah. I think that's what a lot of it is. Mm -hmm. But you'd be surprised. I mean, there's cards over the last uh, several years, you know, because of the skills and the hype around players that, you know, there's, there's cards worth thousands of dollars today. Sure. Um, the grading industry to send them in and have them properly authenticated and graded on a one to 10 gem mint scale mm -hmm. uh, makes a lot of the vintage cards more sought after. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, like gold, you'd be surprised. A lot of people are investing in a lot of high-end cards. Mm-hmm holding on to them and 
trying to flip them for a profit later on. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I couldn't see myself doing it on my budget. You know, I'm not going to sure. spend a thousand dollars on a card in hopes I can make, you know, twice, you know, double my money or get 20 percent back. That's just too crazy. Sure. But um, for me, because I've lost collections, you know, I sold my original collection mm-hmm. uh, after losing a collection, moving back to New York. They all got water damaged. Uh, you know, for me, just having the card and, and, you know, checking it out and appreciating it and getting rid of it in a two weeks time or two years time, mm-hmm. it isn't a big deal for me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, since I didn't feel it was right to try to really promote and try to sell merch during the pandemic. So, cause sure. so many of us are fucking broke. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I put a few things up on ebay for the band okay. you know selling some shirts and stuff like that but mm-hmm. you know the, the baseball card hobby for me kept me really sane over the last couple of months okay. you know what i mean good, yeah. i probably if i didn't have something to take my mind off of worrying about this bill or that bill mm-hmm. you know uh it probably would have been a lot more stressful for me and okay. you know then maybe i would have you know, gone a little too far, maybe getting drunk one night or something like that. And I, I'm really amazed at how much I was able to keep my head together here. I think it's because of my responsibilities also now that, uh, you know, I'm not living for myself, mm-hmm. trying to, be, you know, come a good stepdad in the future and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's helped keep me grounded during a very challenging time and and my hats off to everyone out there who's trying to keep a family together as well as uh just keeping their wits straight right now you know just hang in there man this shit's gonna end eventually Mm -hmm. even if we have another outbreak because people can't uh get back to normal in a in a safe space setting Mm -hmm. you know uh, we might be in this for another six months. We really don't know. Yeah, no, you're right, man. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's unpredictable not, right now. We don't know what's going to fucking happen. Yeah, yeah. But you'd be surprised. This hobby with everybody be at home, being at home, is actually on the rise. You know, that's okay. And that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of people are, you know, thinking that they can get a better return. You know, in their 401k, if they buy gold and baseball cards. Mm-hmm. So, you know, never underestimate, you know, a person's interest in, in music. Everybody's either, you know, CD collector, you got your albums behind, you got your mm-hmm. vinyl, you know, or someone collects, uh, you know, figurines or fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, mine happened to be baseball cards. And yeah. I always went back to the hobby when I was in a good place in my life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that said, you know, uh, you know, Eddie Lee was playing with baseball cards, and, you know, instead of needles. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. A lot, lot better. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Better, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. Exactly. Well, great, man. Hey, so uh, if you want to just go ahead and throw out, you know, where, uh, where listeners and stuff, where everyone can kind of, you know, get in touch, you know, touch with you or, or can hear music from the band. I know because there's been a lot of, the, uh, still with, uh, you know, like I said, YouTube still has the full albums on there, right? For yeah, you could go on YouTube to yeah. listen to all Leeway music. Um, on Instagram, um, Eddie underscore Leeway. Uh, Eddie Sutton on Facebook. There's the Leeway NYC page on mm-hmm. Facebook, too, that you can join. But I haven't been on there. I haven't been able to really add any uh, recent uh, fan requests to the page uh, and that's pretty much it you okay. know um i don't have official band sites really you know i kind of keep it just to me and you know i try to uh you know just keep going sure. you know yeah. i i'm trying to maintain a diy ethic as best i can i'm trying to do some interesting things with the merch other than the usual uh and and hopefully once this all settles down in this world, I could get back to the plan of recording this live album, mm-hmm. as well as doing some other things. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, 
But uh, Skeeter Thompson uh, from Scream, he likes to be called Enoch nowadays. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be collaborating with him in the future as well. And uh, Scream is a a prolific DC band. Yeah. You know, and David Grohl, isn't Dave Grohl and Scream back in the day? Well, he he was like a hired guy in the band after the original drummer or drummers passed on. Okay. But Enoch is such a talented dude. I, I can't wait to start working with him as well because, you know, there's other styles of music I want to take on as a challenge too. I, you know, I would love to do R&B songs from the 70s, such a big part of my life, mm-hmm. and recreate them with the energy that came out of my music scene, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, also acoustic shows. I think there's something very naked and challenging about that as well. Sure, yeah. No, very cool, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, great, man. Well, thanks, Eddie. You know, thanks for coming on, man. And, you know, as we traditionally do here on Aftershocks, uh, go ahead and pick a leeway track for our listeners, you know, old or new, whatever you want. I mean, obviously, you'd probably want to play one of the new tracks, I'm assuming. But, uh, you know, we'll end the episode with that. I uh, want the listeners, you know, hear a little leeway. I guess the song I want to pick today is product from open Mouth oh okay Kiss. awesome i love that song man awesome well thanks again Amy. i really appreciate it and thanks for listening to aftershocks thanks for listening to aftershocks for more episodes go to our website at www.aftershockspodcast.com visit us on our facebook instagram and twitter pages for more news and information on the podcast and be sure to subscribe listen to and review all episodes on youtube spotify apple podcasts and all other podcast platforms For your music listening pleasure, visit our website or go to www.shockwavesradio.com. For all comments and questions, please email us at info at aftershockspodcast.com.